Make summer memories in Hampton. Visit the Virginia Air and Space Science Center. Discover 400 years of history at Fort Monroe and explore our wide open beaches. Purchase your Sea to Stars ticket and plan your trip today at visithampton.com. Uh, that's what I was thinking. Is that I feel like which each, each sequel maybe we'll explore a different too? like element, you know? We'll start like calling the campaigns by their elements, like oh the the lobs. Inconceivable. Um, we, uh, if you didn't know, um, if you're listening to the podcast, you can also check out the video version on our YouTube channel at Geekind. And if you're watching this, you can listen to this podcast wherever you are on your favorite music slash podcast platform. So with that, let's get right into it. And for today's episode, um, I'm going to be talking about why there currently is no hype for the upcoming, um... Avatar movies and why I think there should be a lot of hype for them. Okay. Um, especially since the first one, as of the recording of this podcast, is slated for December of 2020, which is just a year and a half from now. You mean the first sequel? The first sequel, yes. Okay. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it's going to be very soon we're going to start seeing a lot of like stuff for it, promotional materials, trailers. Mm-hmm. So we're just ahead of the curve as far as the general... Uh, hype from the production team, you know, yeah. but I feel like big movies of this stature usually have a lot of hype even before that, aka basically every Marvel movie, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, to be fair with Marvel movies, they come out every year, and uh, we had Avatar, what, 2009? So nope, it's been 10 years, so I feel like that's And with that, let's, let's briefly talk about that and w- what Avatar is for those who don't know or as is familiar Alex has seen the movie. Did you see it in theaters or did you watch it on DVD? I watched it on DVD. I watched it mm-hmm. once and that was years ago. But it's right. Yeah, it was. It's interesting and entertaining to watch. But the premises, I feel like I've seen it before in a Disney movie. So, yeah. Yeah. and you actually haven't seen it at I, all, but I you're familiar not. with uh, most of the concepts within it. Yeah, yeah. pretty familiar. Um, as Alex alluded to, the storyline is fairly familiar mm-hmm. and i don't think anybody when raving about the avatar movie was bragging about its revolutionary story because sure. it was pretty simple i would like to make the quick argument though that that's not always a bad thing i think several movies have um storylines that we've seen time and time again i think what was missing from this was its own unique spin on it you know um because it did feel not as much copy and paste, but as just like you're waiting for that like that one twist to separate it from the other ones as used the similar storylines, and it just didn't quite have that. Um, but I don't think like people use that as a way to like downplay the movie as not good. But I think that's I don't think that qualifies as a reason to say the movie's not good because it was still well executed in its plot, even though we've seen it before. It wasn't like it replicated the same plot and then did it badly. Okay, so. Um, so, what would you say is special about the original Avatar? So, the thing that really shines about the original Avatar is it is revolutionary in its, um, as far as the movie's presentation goes. Um, so, for instance, uh, we kind of, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, 
Um, Avatar single-handedly cemented 3D movies as a permanent thing and not just a fad part two. Because um, it was a fad back in the 80s, back when you had like the red, blue like glasses, and now we have like the real 3D technology that's a little bit different. Well, that's even post, uh, like significantly post Avatar that that's been changed, isn't it? Well, yeah, well, the thing is, is that 3D was reintroduced um, before Avatar, obviously. Yeah. But then it was already on the decline as it was only used in very gimmicky instances and it was very tacked on and never executed correctly. Okay. Avatar came along and um, one thing that was very unique about Avatar is that it didn't have a super impressive opening box office weekend. It had a pretty average, mm -hmm. you know, which is... Strange when you look at the end result of everyone knows that Avatar being the current number one movie for highest grossing of all time, which let me look at the exact statistic. It grossed 2.7 billion dollars worldwide. That is insane. That is insane. It is. Uh, what's the next movie on the list? The next movie on the list, ironically, is Titanic, also produced by... Um, James Cameron, not produced, okay. directed by James Cameron, um, and um, that came in just over two billion. Okay. So, um, and the original Titanic was in I think 1998, mm -hmm. and Avatar 2009. And I think what's impressive is that both those movies have basically withstanded, actually have withstanded the entire um, run of these, uh, not just the Avengers movies, mm -hmm. but the Lord of the Rings movies, the Harry Potter movies. And literally every significant movie that we've seen since 1998, which is a really, really big part of cinema. Like, we've, these past 20 years have been a really big age for movies, you know? Now, what do you think, what do you mean when you say withstood compared to other movies, exactly? As far as grossing. Oh, well, yeah. Star Wars kind of hit it out of the park with that one, I think. I'm pretty sure it did. The Force Awakens? Yeah, but it didn't didn't even come close to them. No, it went past them. It's past no. them, right? No. Force Awakens? Uh, no. Which Force Awakens was, uh, I think, maybe top ten, but no, it didn't beat them. That's like that is the numbers. Like Avatar is still number one, and Titanic is still number two. So I think the uh, accolades that the Star Wars movies and the Marvel movies hold are typically how quickly mm -hmm. they make certain milestones, um, but overall they don't end up beating the either Titanic or Avatar in the long run. Um, one thing that was very, um, I'm not, I didn't do a lot of research on what made Titanic so successful in its grossing, um, but what made Avatar so successful is that I mentioned how when it first came out, it didn't have a really crazy opening weekend, and that's because it was mostly unknown, it wasn't a part of like a big franchise, it was like, basically, the only thing that was really interesting about it, other than what it looked like, was this was basically James Cameron's brainchild for the past 15 years. He wrote the script back in 95, very similar to Star Wars, realized that the technology didn't exactly, um, was at the place that he wanted to, and kind of set it aside. Mm -hmm. And by Star Wars, by the way, I meant um, when George Lucas originally wrote the storyline for Star Wars, the prequels were shelved later on, which is why they were done after the fact because the technology was not where he wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. So James Cameron did a very similar thing. Um, and even when they started, they still were filming the movie for, I believe they said nine years was the amount of process that it took them to film the original Avatar movie. Okay. So 
Original script, 95. They started filming early 2000s. Well, started production of the film early 2000s, mm-hmm. and it didn't release until 2009. That's a freaking long time for movies. These days, usually around the long end, we're usually seeing about three years. That's a long time for a movie, you know? We were just talking about How to Train Your Dragon 3, and obviously they weren't working on it, like, the entire gap. Mm -hmm. They were working on it for a longer period than most trilogies, Mm -hmm. especially animated. Animated usually gets pushed out a lot faster. So Mm -hmm. it's a more rarity thing, but honestly, I feel like the ones that we wait for tend to be the better ones. Um, Yeah, same as Spider-Verse. They took several years with that one in development. I think it took like a four, week to... four or five years. <laughs> Something like that. It was pretty close. This is the way that they're doing the sequels also bears resemblance to Lord of the Rings and how they were done because they were all filmed together, correct? Mm-hmm. And they took a long time to make those movies and to make sure that everything was right before they released them. I believe they started in 98 and the first one came out in 2001 and the others came out uh, each sequential year after that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, um, I think that that's usually a recipe for success. Obviously, you're gonna have outliers, but I feel like the ones that take their time have a much better result. Obviously, as most things are, you know, yeah. it's it's not a surprising fact really on that one. But <laughs> I think that's a good sign that you know, like part of the reason for success as we're trying to figure out why Avatar was so special. Um, but back to the 3D thing, I think that um, what made Avatar so special is that James Cameron is very obsessed with. The third dimension in general. In fact, he's trying to incorporate in a lot more of technology today. Um, in film, although his median, he's trying to push it to other things like the medical field and things of that nature. Okay. Um, he's very big on technology and not just film. Um, and a big point for this movie was he filmed it with 3D in mind. And I think that makes a big difference to the movies that even today we see in 3D, where 3D is more of an afterthought. Right. And the difference being is that when you have 3D after the fact and not really incorporated when shooting, it is all digital, you know, and there's nothing that was filmed with 3D in mind, meaning that you're basically, it's like, it's like almost like Photoshopping in a way. So like the effect is there, but it's not, it's not as natural, you know, it doesn't feel as immersive. Usually the kind of 3D movies that we see now, I saw it with Star Wars, even one of the higher production ones, it feels like you can count the layers mm-hmm. of 3D. And instead of it feeling like you're immersed in there, it's like you can see one, two layers, and then like the back layer. Like that's kind of what it feels like. And it, it feels more like um, those like those books that you'll have. That mm-hmm. feels like it's just kind of above the surface. Yeah. You know, or like the 3DS. That's a great example. It kind of feels like the 3DS effect, you know, where it's like 3D, quote-unquote, but not really, like, jumping at you. You know, it's sure. like you can feel there's depth to it. And that's basically what 3D movies... I never had, like... 3D never really did anything for me just because it was just... It seemed so blurry, and I don't know if mm-hmm. it's just because I have crappy eyes or not, but just no. watching it, it's just like... It's not like it's right out there. I just feel... I see different layers on top of layers. Like, I see, like, an extra... I don't know, just, like, extra mm-hmm. things, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, so it's not, like something that I go for really it's mm-hmm. just it doesn't do anything for me yeah I, I have to admit a certain amount of skepticism about 3d uh, imagery in general um, just not not really seeing or feeling the need to have something be that immersive mm-hmm. and where it's typically more expensive to see uh, you know entertainment in 3d it's it's kind of a non-starter yeah. for me. It doesn't really for feel sure. like a bang to your buck, honestly. For for me, at least. You don't I mean, feel like the money is added into the value. Because, yeah, well, I, I mean, I can be immersed in a movie without having yeah. 3D. But 3D, I feel like it's more distracting to me, honestly. Maybe 
maybe just because I watched regular movies as opposed to that, but yeah, it's not... No, I, I absolutely do agree with you. I used to, after Avatar, I was more adamant about seeing movies in 3D, only to be slowly and surely being let down by just realizing that it just wasn't done in the same fashion. Um, I think the last movie that I saw in 3D was maybe Rogue One. It was either Rogue One or Force Awakens. It was the Force Awakens. Okay. That was, it a second and that was a while ago. Mm-hmm. And after that, I was convinced that I got no more enjoyment out of 3D than I did 2D, which is which was a sad realization. You know, it's just like you want it to be cooler than it is, but in, just in practice, it just isn't doing it. Because when you said about the blurriness, I've been noticing that a lot more recently too, mm-hmm. where it just doesn't feel like everything is quite in focus and I don't know if they're trying to do that to make it more immersive as far as depth goes but it just was more distracting than anything well you, you see know? like the trailers for 3D and you see the characters literally coming right out of the screen or throwing something and <laughs> I don't see that at all it's like seeing like pictures on top of each other that are spread out a little bit and they're right in front of you but you see like there's space behind them one of the best 3D movies that I saw besides Avatar was actually A Christmas Carol like the that's a pretty good one the um Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Yeah, the Jim Carrey the animated version. one, but it's yeah. like, like the really realistic like animated yeah, one. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. the um, like the Polar Express sort of three uh, D animation. Yeah, that three D was really good. That was the last time I was impressed by three D, and that was also. I think that was motion capture. No, that was motion capture. Yes, mm-hmm. um, but I was trying to remember when that came out. Um, it was two thousand. When did Jim Carrey's A Christmas Carol come out? Two thousand and nine. So ironically, around the same time. Wow. Um, so it came out literally just after Avatar Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah I haven't been impressed by 3D movies since 2009 that's really sad Um, I mean it's better than not being impressed at all well see that's the thing is that Avatar set a precedent of what 3D could actually be capable of because there was never those moments of things being blurry there was never those moments of like like being distracted it just felt so immersive and I remember very distinctly one of the craziest scenes was there's this, this moment where you're in Pandora and there's almost these like living like jellyfish creatures floating in the air mm-hmm. and it was just it was purposely one of those moments where he's supposed to take in like all over the world you know and those things like it just it literally felt like you were in the movie for a moment because that was like a perfect like use for the 3D where you just felt like everywhere you know it's and funny that they'd have that scene as the moment to make it really realistic having jellyfish floating in the air that's like, terrifying <laughs> <laughs> like am I enjoying the movie no, no I'm think of like the Nemo when um when you have um Dory's like you know my yeah, just squishy. like that like squishy like they were like squishies like they were Big like squishies that will kill you yeah <laughs> um but um, I, I, I remember vividly that moment being one of the cooler moments. But just in general, because there were so many flying scenes, just like and Pandora was just a, such a beautifully created world mm-hmm. that it felt so cool to be immersed by it, you know. Um, and I was looking at some stuff of Avatar today, like 10 years later, and it really holds up, like mm-hmm. graphically and like especially with the motion capture of the three. Like it compares to some of the, like it's not better but it definitely can can stand stand next to to like recent performances like planet of the apes you know mm-hmm. and things of those have been really pushing that technology mm-hmm. um it's just really impressive you know um did you watch planet of the apes part of it <laughs> I'm, I'm not a big fan of those movies to be honest and it's just but you me. haven't seen them how can you not be a fan if you haven't seen them because i tried and then i was like yeah with one movie yeah same thing with transformers no transformers like you Completely different. It's got the name <laughs> Michael Bay on it. Movies. Okay, that's just why. not for me, you know. Um, but yeah, so um, those did it 
those movies did it so well that it had people coming back for seconds and thirds because they wanted that immersive feeling and it was a feeling that had never been quite captured in movies before mm -hmm. um, almost like it was a different medium and week after week it became more and more popular especially as people came to go watch it and then you had word of mouth of people saying you need to go see this movie in theaters and I think that was like I didn't know a friend um, who had seen it in theaters and not go back to see it in theaters again. Like it was such a like experience that people wanted to relive um, that it because it was like that well made and like the 3D experience especially was so valuable. Um, and once they did that, and of course you see the numbers behind it. Now all the companies are like, well, we should definitely do 3D now because now we see the numbers behind it. We saw what they did, but they didn't want to put in the work as filming mm -hmm. to make it as special. Um, and I think that even though 3D is still pretty prolific within movies, I feel like the attendance of 3D is probably the smallest that it's ever been since then. I would imagine. I don't so got any numbers possible. to back that. But. Yeah, it, would be, it would be interesting to see some actual data on that. But. Well, I'd also wonder if it's more difficult for them to do 3D if it's live action movies. Because with Avatar, yes, it's live action, but most of it was CGI. Yeah. So I don't know if it's easier for them to do it with that or mm -hmm. not, but again, like if you're shooting with a camera and you're doing like real people, it might be a yeah. little more difficult. I mean, they have cameras that shoot in 3D, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They've also done, I'm trying to remember what movie did exactly, but they've done movies where they film with multiple cameras. So with better depth, um, kind of like how your, your phone had these days tends to have more than one camera on the back mm -hmm. and it uses that to give that bokeh effect of like the blurred background by basically getting your two cameras as kind of like how eyesight works with your eyes you can yeah. see depth because you have two eyes you right. you start to lose your depth of vision when you have one eye so having two cameras the phone can kind of recognize the difference of what's far and what's close okay. because of the two lenses right. um and um but yeah so um, Avatar was revolutionary it's technology especially with the 3D um, advancements and then especially as everyone knows the the um, live performance capture elements that it did was mm -hmm. so much more detailed and so much more revolutionary than anyone really attempted um, the, by far the most revolutionary thing that was ever done since Lord of the Rings with um, the uh, performance for Gollum you know yeah. that was the, that was the biggest thing since then um, and I will say that Lord of the Rings is starting to age now. I think we're getting to that point where I see it and it's like the motion capture, like you can see moments where it doesn't seem like it's really there, like kind of almost floaty in certain okay. scenes. Um, Avatar, I feel like has very yet to hit that point. And I think one thing that kind of goes in Avatar's favor, to be fair, is that the majority of it is CGI when they're in Pandora, whereas Lord of the Rings, a lot more actual real places. Mm -hmm. So you're incorporating a lot more actual fake things on top of real things when it's, of course, a lot easier to incorporate fake things with fake things. Right. So. <laughs> right. But um, but yeah, so the, really to sum up why the Avatar, the original movie, was such a huge success was its spectacle, mm -hmm. you know? And I remember distinctly being so excited to watch it on DVD and watching it on DVD and then immediately being disappointed because I realized how much of the thrill was the spectacle. Mm -hmm. And when you see the movie for just the plot and you don't get the full vastness of how crazy good the movie looks on a smaller screen it doesn't seem that special you know well that's with most movies i think well well when one relies on spectacles this much it really has an impact for 
viewing oh, experiences. Yeah, so, like, uh, the Transformers movies are, are a perfect example of that, where they are really impressive to watch in theaters, but if you take them out of the, the theater context, uh, they become just kind of uh, indifferent, yeah. you know, entertainment. And you appreciate it, but you don't feel wowed by it. Yeah, like it's it like you turn it, off your brain to watch it. It doesn't have the impact mm-hmm. uh, when you when you take it out of the theater context. I guess that kind of uh, demands the question, is it important to watch movies that don't have anything to offer outside the theater context? That is a great... And I wonder about that because there's a lot of times where I will pass on a movie not because I don't want to see it, but because I don't think it's worth seeing in theaters. I didn't think there was anything special about it. Right. Um, you could make the argument for a lot of animated movies mm-hmm. um, because because it's animated you already have that disconnect of not like feeling the need to be immersed in it when right. it's something is live action being immersed in it is a lot more valuable mm-hmm. you know it's kind of hard to be immersed in an animated a true animated movie not like a live action version of an animated you know movie right. um, I think one example um, that you'd probably be able to speak to Alex uh, of a movie that really benefits from being seen in a theater uh, is A Quiet Place I didn't see that one in theaters. In Wesley theaters. was the we, one. We watched, was one. Yeah, yeah, we watched it Wesley, at home, and that was still terrifying, though. Wesley talked very highly of the theater experience, of how the immersion of that was crazy, because you feel like it was also part of your job to be quiet as well. And Having a quiet theater. Yeah, <laughs> that must have been nice. A true quiet place, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, he said that he was just totally immersed and like on the edge of his seat. And yeah, I think... Um, for there is there's oh I was thinking in the back of my head there was another movie that kind of had the same effect for me, and that was Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. A lot of Ready Player One was um, leaning towards its spectacle, mm-hmm. you know. And I knew about it being a movie about being immersed in a virtual reality. I feel like it was only fair to witness it in a theater setting, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and Maybe. I was glad I did because honestly, it was. It was a spectacle. It was super cool to watch, and it was fun in those moments, but I can already tell you that if I would watch it on DVD, I would immediately remember it for liking it less than I do currently, you know? I'm kind of, like, containing that experience for what it was and enjoying the movie probably a little bit higher than I would if I actually rewatched it, you know? Right. Uh, Was that movie also supposed to be uh, fairly impressive in a 3D experience? I don't remember it being marketed or made that way. Um, I remember... At least from my experience, a lot of the talk just being about it being compared to the book. Okay. You know, it would have been nice if it like that would have been a very good opportunity for them it to go for 3D because that's also like animated, but sort of in a realistic sense. Yeah, and I and I know they did 3D, but I don't recall them doing anything special about the 3D experience. Mm-hmm. Like I'm pretty sure it was the same process as any movie that you see in 3D now. Just I a, could be wrong, but overlay. I yeah, I could be wrong, but I literally remember hearing zero about the 3D experience being anything better for that movie or in production about how it was going to be better in 3D because sometimes you'll have movies that's like, there's going to be reasons to watch this in 3D. You know, they'll try to promote that because, you know, they're putting the extra investment specifically for 3D. So they're going to promote the fact that you should watch this in 3D because we pr- like we put more work into the 3D aspect of this movie. Mm-hmm. And I didn't hear any of that. And I followed um, pretty decently the coverage of that leading up to the movie because I was very interested in it. Sure. So. And I never heard that. So, um, yeah, and it's actually come to think of that. It's been a while since we've heard a movie talk about the 3D experience being something special for a movie. Yeah, um, I think John Carter was supposed to be something specific about it, but 
That didn't do well <laughs> in regular theaters, let alone 3D. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's so that. that's another reason why you should have also a good story along with the effects, the visual effects. Yeah. So, with all that being said, now that we've kind of talked about the first movie, why it's where the place it is, why it's the top grossing and all these factors, um, and what it did for the industry, um, now we're kind of left wondering, no one was thinking after... Because the movie was very standalone. There was nothing really, pl- like, there was no, like, cliffhangers. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very sense stone. It was also a long movie, if I recall. I don't know the exact runtime, but I know that it was, like, a two-and-a-half-plus-hour movie, you mm-hmm. know, um, which seems very justified by its nature and, you know, um, and its production. Um, but, um, so now, um, basically, we're faced with not one sequel, but actually... Currently, four sequels, mm-hmm. um, which seems ludicrous to most. Yeah, you know, a little bit. And, and anyone other than Star Wars uh, or Marvel uh, announcing more than announcing a movie before their next movie has come out. Well, I mean, I guess they're kind of justified because Avatar is the most mm-hmm. uh, pro- like maybe not the most profitable, but like the highest grossing movie of all time. Give yeah, it four so movies, though. It does seem kind of hubristic. Um, Maybe like two movies would be, or even hey, we're doing a sequel to Avatar, and we're working like we're if hoping that, to if, make if that yeah. does well, we'll continue making others. Like even if you wanted to make them all at once, it would behoove them, I think, to really see how a sequel does. I wonder if they're expecting it to do as well, if not better, than the original, because that's like, I don't know if they're shooting themselves in the foot for trying to go for like the highest thing that they've ever done and try and do better than that. I I don't think it's even remotely possible that it's going to do as well as the first one. Well, yeah. here's the thing is that its biggest asset which we already discussed, it being a spectacle sure, for the first sequel, there'll be a little bit of that in play to mm-hmm. see how different and how much more James Cameron has done with all the advancements and other technologies that we'll get into later um, but we, we're talking about four movies here yeah. so the little advantage you are going to get from that one sequel is already going to be used up in that single movie because we know with the other movies they're going to be the same so they're not going to be any more advanced than the first sequel so then it really really relies on the plot it cannot mm-hmm. be copy paste anymore it cannot be um, something that we've seen before it's got to be something really engaging and really fresh to actually warrant these movies and Mm -hmm. for warrant to people come back because here's the crazy thing i already mentioned how they're being filmed back to back um currently uh the production as far as i can tell started in september of 2017 Mm -hmm. um and they filmed both the avatar 2 and avatar 3 back to back and these are already being done and they're scheduled for release for 2020 um in december and december in 2021 so doing christmas to christmas and he says that he really, James Cameron said that he really wanted these movies to be like able to be seen close together. Mm-hmm. And then during those, um, acquiring the funding from those sequels, basically, um, and the money that they made off of those, they'll be then going immediately into production for the next two movies, which will be released as, as of right now, I suspect it will change, um, for December of 2024 and December of 2025. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So we're looking at four movies in the span of five years Yeah. Um, for Avatar. Um, and we are looking at two movies being filmed back-to-back, which is crazy. 
and it's a crazy risk because as we are now talking about how the hype levels are not exactly there it's been 10 years since the last one um, people exactly haven't been like clamoring for a sequel. Right. I'm sure you, you got the people who love Avatar who would love to see a sequel. But that being said, the general public isn't like, yeah, let's see a sequel. You know, like it didn't it didn't warrant the need for one. Yeah, it, it might be a, a situation where oh, you know, the new Avatar movie's out. I remember enjoying the last one. Exactly. I'd be willing to go see it, but like nobody's, uh, you know, posting on R slash Avatar, being like, I can't believe that they haven't done a sequel yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, with Star Wars, it's an entire fan base based around that, and also we have other stuff going off of it, I mean, we already talked about it in another podcast, but hearing that it's coming back, because it's making a comeback, we've already had a couple of comebacks, but mm-hmm. it, got, it came back again, and we're all excited to see, like, the next story, but with Avatar, I don't know if they have as much of a strong fan base to go off of that, because also Star Wars is a much bigger thing, right? And got a lot more lore. Oh, yeah, so, so much more. I think the benefit that Star Wars has that um, is is kind of elusive to, to Avatar is that Star Wars is also a spectacle, and it's also like each series that's come out has well, maybe not the newer ones as much, but um, the the original trilogy and the prequels. Um, were also groundbreaking in their special effects, mm-hmm. but there's still something about Star Wars that speaks to people on an emotional level, mm-hmm. rather than just like the spectacle. Like you have the spectacle, but you also have the foundation underneath it, which mm-hmm. I think is lacking, from yeah. what I understand. Star Wars is one of the uh, go-to movies when explaining the good versus evil stereotype movie plotline perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. they did the classic good versus evil storyline. Almost to a T, right. you know, um, and now people try to get more complicated with that, which is risky and mm-hmm. can either pay off hugely or be just confusing yeah. and then just totally fall in the trash, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but so one of the first things that we think of, well, Avatar is going to have sequels and lots of sequels. The first thing, obviously, with Avatar having the reputation of the highest grossing movie of all time, you would think that it's a, it's a money grab. But I have two big reasons why I believe that it's not a money grab. Mm-hmm. First off, James Cameron said himself that when he originally came up with the plot for Avatar, um, even when realizing he'll still have to shovel it for technology-wise, he realized that this is not a story that could be told in one movie. Mm-hmm. Kind of sounds like Star Wars, honestly, um, yeah. and his whole thing. When li- Literally, when George Lucas thought of the original Star Wars storyline, it's over the span of six movies. Yeah. You know? Um, and that also sounded pretty crazy about the fact that he wanted to do this crazy movie um, in a genre at that point. This, this is a little bit different aspect than Avatar, but in a genre that exactly wasn't very prolific at that yeah, time. wasn't known for making money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, so. and he wanted to, and he did decide to, uh, you know, number it the, the way he did. But when the original came out, the studio was like, ah. Eh, we can't really market it as episode four. People are going to be confused. So we're just going to call it Star Wars, and like yeah. we're going to go from there. Yeah, um, and that's yeah you know, that one. And with Star Wars, what's crazy about that is that that was obviously one of the most hyped movies of all time. You know, um, when that as far as like, but not Star Wars. The second, like the the following up to Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, with the amount of hype, they could have basically told George Lucas, we'll fund all five movies now, yeah. you know, but they didn't. They waited for each movie to be finished and to come out before they funded the next one. Right. With this one, 
Um, and obviously that's the safer route, you yeah. know, no matter how good of a bet seems, you still want to like wait to see the proof in the pudding with this one. All these movies have already been funded. In fact, the first two movies, uh, the first two sequels for Avatar, mm -hmm. they've invested $1 billion between the two movies, which wow. is a insane amount of money put yeah. into movies. And we've never really seen that kind of money thrown at movies before. Um, I think the, the highest movies that we've seen is really the Avengers movies, you know, which those clock in. Uh, like, I don't think those are the most expensive movies. I think uh, one of the more recent ones that I can recall. But yeah. um, uh, let me keep going. Yeah. I'm gonna. Look so, um, but basically, um, the two points that I wanted to make is that James Cameron, when realizing the story similar to Star Wars, he realized it can't be told into one. So we wanted to make a proof of concept, being the first one that could stand alone, and then with its success, have the legitimacy to make more movies. Mm -hmm. um, so now that he's done that, now he wants to tell his full story, which he said originally was going to be three action movies, which now needs to be four action movies, as he's decided that he wants to tell it properly. So that part sounds a little less crazy now that you put that in perspective. The other part, obviously, being the money, if this was a money grab, then we wouldn't see the back-to-back -back filming with this type of money, and we wouldn't see the funding before these future movies even come out. Mm -hmm. James Cameron has placed his bets on these being a success, I almost really enjoy that because I always appreciate movies when they're filmed back to back. They seem to be more coherent and they usually seem to be um, like a, they usually make better trilogies, mm, you know. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, I feel like it ups the ante for the people working on the film. They know that not only does this sequel like this sequel has to be a hit. Because this third movie is happening, whether we like it or not. Yeah. So if the sequel sucks, they still have a third movie that they still have to make. Mm -hmm. So the pressure is on them not just to make the next Avatar, but to make the next two Avatars. Meaning that they they need to, need to, need to make this a success. And I think that's going to really um, provide the, I shouldn't say encouragement, the pressure that's needed to provide a really epic trilogy you know yeah. well, I, I get that um so adjusted for inflation uh so funnily enough avatar is the most expensive uh movie ever made uh come, clocking in at 478.8 million damn uh with an additional I, I don't know if the marketing is uh included in that but they spent 150 million on the marketing as well wow um Second was Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Wow. 444. That's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think we talked about that a little Yeah, you mentioned ago. those numbers a long well, time ago. Well, they did make their money back. Um, oh, really? Their worldwide gross was a billion dollars. I think I'm talking about uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Oh, that was bad. yes. Okay. Uh, at yeah. World's End, 348. Um, they made a billion dollars. Wow. Um, Avengers Age of Ultron at 340. Wow. So that's up there. Um that's probably the one I was thinking of. Yeah, with 1.5, essentially, uh, as their gross. Force Awakens, 314. Um, yeah. So that's crazy. So split that billion and a half, we're looking at a $500 million budget per movie. Um, and it, even though that's technically what they'd be valued at, it's kind of, because they're being filmed back to back, it doesn't really justify how much money is being put into this. Because when you film it back to back, you are saving money in a lot of aspects. Um, so really there is 
technically being more money put into it than just a solid $500 million per movie. Um, but that being said, this easily pushes it being the most expensive movies ever created. And that alone should be noted for attention, you right. know? Um, so the fact that this amount of money is being invested beforehand, that push makes the stakes super high. And I feel like typically um, the movies that do best is one where the pressure is stacked on, you know? Because I feel like when um, you have the success and it seems like sequels just like oh just do it again that's when they always fail you know i feel like when they're put out a challenge of like okay well you have to like force awakens is a great example it's like you've got to follow up these movies you've got to bring something new but you've got to keep it like similar and all these challenges and they really had to put their heads down to like to make this and it was successful you know with a lot of like pressure put onto it and then after that was successful then they were able to loosen up a little bit with more mixed results. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say that the pressure always does make it. So I mean, the obviously better. not. But if like Age of Ultron, it was done by Joss Whedon, who did the first one, and it was. No, that's a good example. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like the pressure wasn't as. I mean, obviously, you have to uh, try to live up to the expectations of the previous movie and, mm-hmm. and meet it. But I feel like the event. I, I could be getting this wrong. I could be misremembering uh, the hype levels at the time. I, I'm not sure that uh, like I'm, I haven't. I remember not being excited by the promotional stuff. Okay, that's fair. I remember already feeling not great about the movie before going to see it, yeah. to which I was actually right in my thoughts about it. Unfortunately, yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I will say that fan expectations are one thing, but money expectations is a whole other ball game. And yeah. I think that that's a much more threatening. Um, um, battle to face right so i feel like that's going to be a much more again not encouraging because it's not like a happy like yeah do your best like no it's a it's a more of a threatening thing than anything but hey it's still a really should make this amount come back <laughs> yeah it, right um so yeah so i um basically based off of those things this this does not um look like the recipe that we've seen for cash grabs in the past mm-hmm. you know um and I don't, and like James Cameron, you know, similar to other trilogies and like sagas that we've seen, has a story that he's wanted to tell all the time, and this is what he set out to do. So it's not him because Avatar was success. Oh, I should think of more stuff to yeah. do. Like this was the plan all along. It's it's not a studio movie. It's a uh, it's a creative. Yeah. Um, you know. And this is one of endeavor. his like. Like, this is his true baby. Because, you know, you see other projects that he's worked on, and they're, like, other people's, you know, properties and things of that nature. Yeah. You know, see uh, Titanic being number two. Obviously, that's based off of a real-life event. Um, and Avatar is the first one that's really his own creation. So this is very special to him. So he's got a lot of incentive to make this, like, big, mm-hmm. you know? Do you think that he's going to run afoul of the uh, sort of George Lucas effect? of being kind of fully in charge of his own see that's own ship as that, it were. that is a definitely a valid point to make um i'm going to touch on that a little bit when i talk about james cameron's reputation especially mm. compared to other directors sure um before we um before we get uh, more into the bigger picture of everything i want to talk briefly about what has been talked about that's going to be actually in these sequels you know because we're saying what's going to be super important with these that's going to be like the number one reason why it's going to be a success this time around not because of its spectacle um not a ton has been said about the plot but what uh, has been said by james is that it is going to be revolved around family 
and it's going to be revolved around multi-generational family. Mm -hmm. um, and what I think it's important to note here is that the entire cast is coming back. Okay. Um, all the original people, because they're still on contract for these sequels. Except for the people who died in the first movie, right? No, actually. What? They're, they're coming, coming back? Yeah. Yikes. That has not explained why, but that Clones. is... Clones. Yeah. So, Time travel. Aliens. Cloning. Yeah. Cloning aliens. So that's kind of like a, a weird spoiler, I guess. But I mean, I'm sure in the trailers they'll show those characters, so I'm sure it's not really a true spoiler. Um, but yeah, so the people who quote-unquote died in the first Avatar movie come back, um, both the bad guy and um, the um, I don't, I the scientist girl, like the redhead. I'm forgetting her name. Oh, she died? I can't remember. Yeah. I remember the bad guy dying. Yeah. But they're both coming back. Um, and of course, with lots of new actors um, for new characters. Um, I just wish that some movies just leave people dead, you know? Give them a break. I can agree. They keep bringing people I am back. interested you know, you to see to. what the reason is Just for let this. Them die. Yeah. Just let them lay down and die. Um, so James Cameron says this in quotes, At the center of each of our four movies will be the Sully family. Each sequel will play as a standalone movie. Each movie's story will come to its own conclusion. However, when looked at as a whole, the journey across all four movies will create an even larger connected epic saga for audiences around the world. I was going to say, getting even more Star Wars vibes from this. I know, uh, right? Which isn't a bad thing, to be honest. So you it's going to be a family screwing if... up the galaxy again. <laughs> the emotional great. baggage of uh, the new galaxy family. <laughs> and even though the... The majority of the power of creating a spectacle, a spectacle has already passed. He does have some pretty major plans for these new movies, um, especially exploring different parts of Pandora when it comes to other tribes and new environments within Pandora as a planet, mostly including an underwater uh, portion of the movie, which is not going to be a cameo. It is a huge portion, and there's been a lot of technology directly made for this portion of however big a portion this is going to be in the movie it's unsaid but it's not going to be just a scene you know mm -hmm. um and, also and james cameron is known for his passion for underwater um you know exploration and such so yeah that's, that should be interesting i mean titanic was that that was on the water by the end so <laughs> well he he's known well, what for else is he? The, well not not necessarily in movies but he uh, like I think either before or after or like as part of his research for Titanic he spent a lot of time in submersibles uh, exploring the wreck okay isn't that's that's right right I don't like he was that'd be cool if he did I don't he know spent, he spent a lot of time in like deep See, like, explore. It like, sounds right, like the beginning of the movie of Titanic. Yeah, that's what they were doing. It, it sounds right. I can't say factually. But. Yeah, like I think he's actually like heavy into deep sea. He's got a lot of really yeah, intense they, hobbies outside of. They film. mentioned that in a TV show called Future Man, which is like super weird show Very where they show. yeah where he had like they have to get something but it's at the bottom of a giant well that he has inside of his house. Mm -hmm. Like, why does he have this? It's like, well, it's James Cameron. Like, oh, okay. Um. Uh, he also mentioned that we're expecting to see volcanic-like scenes mm. as well, which is very interesting. We don't see too many of that Water, in Water, volcanic, is this turning into Avatar well, The Last those Airbender? Could, those, uh, uh, that's what like I was aliens? thinking. Is that I feel like which each, each sequel maybe we'll explore a different like, element, you know? <laughs> I was going to say, this is starting to sound more like a video game. Uh, <laughs> we'll start like calling the Campaigns. Avatar movies by their elements. So like, oh, the, the lava sequel. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, the lava one? Oh, Earth, oh, fire, the, water. The ice one. Yeah, the ice one. Um, but honestly, that, that could all be very well cool. And he said, in quote, you 
crap phrasing there uh, yourself with your mouth wide open is what he's saying the reaction will be. I was like, all right. Good to know. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Um, I don't think he actually wants people to do that in the theaters. I guess I'll pack but, my depends. Yeah. He, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he talks very highly of it. So, And to be honest, when it comes to spectacles, James Cameron hasn't exactly let us down. You know, um, Not just in Avatar, but with Titanic, you know, there was, I think they... Um, I'll be honest. He almost I, made a full scale, the, the whole ship. I think it was a very small percentage less than it was. Like, they were... I remember when, uh, a long time ago, about hearing about Titanic, the movie, when they're making the ship, I think they originally proposed, I want to say, half-sized for the mm-hmm. ship. But then he went for, like, at least three-quarter of the size. Which That's was insane. Like, yeah, like an exorbitant more amount of money for this and he had very particular reasons for doing it about why this size ship would give a certain result did he have it on land i i honestly don't i'm okay, pretty sure he had it on water i'm just like that thing's gonna sink well the thing is somehow. that we think the titanic is a really big ship honestly compared to today's ships it's not very big okay so do keep that in mind yeah. <laughs> the oh. titanic is a big ship no doubt but compared to like say like a cruise liner yeah like it's compared to like the queen elizabeth yeah, it's it's I just it doesn't stack up with today's shit. Is it bad that the first thing I thought of was a helicarrier carrier, which isn't even real? Yeah, oh well. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, so that's like some of the stuff that we know about what's going into the next one, um, and what's actually going to be in it. Obviously, a lot of it's still kept under wraps, and we won't really won't know much till um, we see the trailers and maybe posters or just any sort of promotional aspects because we see not even a photo of official stuff. Maybe behind-the-scenes stuff, sure, but we've never seen anything released about these new sequels. So it's very shrouded in mystery at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting that they're able to keep it so shrouded in mystery considering they're, they're doing four movies in one time span and they must have been working on it for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. Do you think you'd see like at least pictures of James Cameron behind a camera with like Avatar slogan in the background or something? Yeah. So yeah, there's not too much to go in that, and that's not one of basing that conversation, this whole conversation off. But I think it was worth mentioning what we do know about the upcoming films so far. Um, what I do want to move into now is James Cameron himself and his reputation. Um, and um, um, let's go into the technology. You know, I mentioned that you know he did the motion capture and the like 3D advancements for the original Avatar. In this one, the two biggest ones that we're seeing, almost very similar. Um, he is he's making very specific and brand new technology cameras revolving around motion capture underwater. So okay. he is like he's charting new territory with like motion capture live action has not been done underwater before. Um, and he had to make specific cameras for it, and the actors had to uh, do rigorous training to, and I think they said six months worth of training to not only to be able to hold their breath long underwater, but to also be able to perform underwater, mm-hmm. which is crazy when you think about that. Like, like props to these actors and actresses, man. Like that's, yeah, I wouldn't want to do that. That's I was like, is this above my pay grade? Like, that seems like a lot. Like, I know mm-hmm. people go through, like, some crazy physical transformations. But when it comes to, like, not breathing, yeah. <laughs> I think it's on another level. Yeah, so that's crazy. And yeah. it really shows that, like... I think that's proof that it's not going to be just a cameo scene. Like, there's going to be a good portion of this movie that's going to be underwater, and it's going to be crazy amazing because he's put so much extra work into just making it as lifelike as possible. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be 
it's not going to be uh, an Aquaman situation. Where yeah. It's, like, oh, it's just kind of, like, it, it looks fun? like, it looks like they're kind of underwater, but, like, it's a little bit, eh. Yeah. You know, like, you can no tell. No one swims was, like that underwater. It's kind of like space, you know? Like, there technically isn't sounds in space, and with the exception of a few movies, most uh, movies with space have sounds, you know? Mm-hmm. So, because it's like. And it's jarring when we don't hear sound in space when we're watching a movie. We're just like, why is it so well, quiet? Wasn't the one out with here? Sandra Bullock, the one that didn't. Gravity, that one was yeah. terrifying just because it was so quiet. And they actually, yeah, they kind of used that to their advantage of being the, the contrast to the majority of movies having yeah. sound. So. Did they have that for Interstellar too? I feel like they did, they did for some parts. I don't know if it was all of Yeah, I can't remember. I've only seen that movie once. Maybe The Martian too. But, um,. Also, in addition to that, because everyone, it's pretty well documented the fact that he's been doing this underwater stuff. But I think that something that's not being talked about a lot that he's developing for this movie is that he's working based off of his, um, he's got ownerships when it comes to technology, but he also has connections when it comes to projector technology. Mm -hmm. He's making the first ever Hollywood film that's going to be um, shown in 3D without glasses. So they have some sort of laser technology with these types of projectors. And obviously you can only have them at certain um, theaters, but he says that they're, it's very a crucial sticking point for him, mm-hmm. that these movies will be able to be shown in 3D without glasses. Like that's the future that he wants to push, is 3D movies without glasses, and these are going to pave the way for it. Okay. That's crazy, you yeah. know? Yes, he's insane. Yeah. <laughs> and, he's, and if he does it right, then it's once again going to revolutionize the 3D market for movies and just it might it might yeah because it could be obviously it's going to be expensive yeah and we'll see how much work it actually takes to properly do that to its effect but once again we're going to see that boundary being pushed of immersion and it's going to make people want to see the avatar sequel solely for that unique experience you know i mean i don't know if i'd want to spend like 60 bucks to watch something like that how do who said I'm just think, think of a number. Think of a number. You know, I like, doubt it's going to. 3D be is already expensive enough. I think like a select theater with high grade highly, technology highly, like that. I would highly doubt it would be more than double the normal ticket price. I don't even think it would be that. I think mm. it might be like 50 percent more. Is what I'm thinking. Um, for for a theater that's specially equipped with a laser projector. But it's not like as like, it's not as a rare thing as it's as I'm making it seem. Okay. Like just a certain company that produces these types types of projectors. Like it's not like. Um, like where you need like a specialized theater or something like that. It's just the company that he works with that makes these projectors. And depending on where that company can bring their projectors is depending on where you can see this movie in the no glasses 3D version. Mm-hmm. So um, definitely going to follow up on that and see how that progresses. But that could change so many things, you know, and that could, especially for people like you and you who wear glasses, that's like, that could make it much better experience for you guys, especially because mm. glasses on glasses never is great. No, it doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't. It sucks. Um, it could also make the the 3D illusion truly more immersive mm. if done correctly. Like I'm hoping that I, I can't imagine that it would be if James Cameron is pushing this. I would hope that it wouldn't be sacrificing the actual immersion effect for the sake that you don't have to wear glasses or the fidelity of the image. Perhaps. Yeah. So. Um, I, I'm kind of in that scenario where it is successful uh, and it is something that brings a lot of people to the theaters. I see the I can see the same thing happening to to that technology as um, it did to like 3D in general because of the, the Avatar release, where you just have a rash of uh, poorly um, implemented 
you know, 3D effects yeah. just being kind of, like, continued to, you know, pasted on to these movies that, uh, like, don't benefit from it because it's not, like, an intentional aspect that's wrapped into the production exactly. of the thing. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of my, like, least favorite things. And a lot of, when 3D was making a comeback, a lot of, especially anime movies, were doing exactly that. And I would call those the very, um, uh... I, I came up with a word for it earlier and I can't remember now, but just very like corny, just like mm-hmm. obvious blatant mm-hmm. uses of 3D, just like a scene that was made specifically just to, oh, by the way, 3D, woo, you know? Um, but, and like the best movies that are in 3D are the ones that don't even try mm-hmm. for 3D. It just makes you naturally more immersed. And that's one of the things that made Avatar was so great is that there was never a moment that you would like, oh, the scene was made specifically to utilize the 3D. You know, like right. it was just like, I feel immersed in this, and this is awesome. It just feels like this movie was made to be utilized by 3D in its entirety as a movie should be, and not right. just like, here's a few scenes that's going to really, you know, display the 3D technology, but overall, the movie really isn't going to benefit from 3D. Like, mm-hmm. Avatar is different in that aspect. That's kind of a, a tangent. Um, you guys, uh, I can't remember if you guys talked about it. You talked about the movie on the podcast. I can't remember if you talked about this aspect specifically. But one thing I noticed about Into the Spider-Verse was there was a very strange 3D yeah. kind of blue and red thing going on in the 2D, like yeah. the regular version mm-hmm. of the movie. I'm curious if someone took a pair of 3D glasses and wore them while they were watching the regular version of the movie, if it like changes yeah. uh, how you view the movie at all. I, I thought it was just because of the, like, the Spider-Verse... Like, the effect that it had right. when they had the whole like, it could be purely aesthetic but I would be very intrigued to see what that looks like yeah. you know that could be cool Yeah, <laughs> I really it just seemed know. like it was glitching honestly like for like artistic uh, purposes yeah, yeah it could be yeah. I, I feel like uh, that'd it be was, an interesting thing to look into I feel like it was more prevalent than I, I mean it could be wrong I, I've only seen it once mm-hmm. uh, that I recall but um, I think I, I know that. No. um uh but I, I feel like it it was like a continuous thing rather than uh, and like I, I forgot that it was there a lot of the mm-hmm. time. But I feel like it was prevalent in the entire movie and not just in specific scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. But again, I could could be mistaken about that. Maybe you should try. It. Maybe I should. <laughs> yeah. Where can, um, where can I get some? I mean, I will definitely be to watch the movie I again. Know. I will not complain about watching that movie again. Mm-hmm. So uh, the next thing I want to move on from. No, that we've addressed the technology is, uh, and this was what I spent like an hour writing down for, was stats compared to other um, prolific um, movie directors. And so what I did is I took the top five grossing movie directors mm-hmm. um, for film, and they come out as this. Number five is David Yates, who is grossed from his movies $1.3 billion. Okay. Um, what is, sorry, what did he do? That's domestic. Um, world... I think worldwide it says it's five point three billion. That sounds more right. David Yates is responsible for Harry Potter. Okay. Um, then you have four being James Cameron, mm-hmm. and in total he's done six point two billion. Um, Michael Bay, um, who obviously is responsible for Transformers, among many other things. He's responsible. Yeah, responsible for bad boys. Who has done six point four billion? So a small difference from James Cameron. Um, and right ahead of that also is Peter Jackson. Obviously mm-hmm. responsible for Lord of the Rings, who is at six point five billion, and um, number one by by a big margin, simply by the amount of movies that he's done, is Steven Spielberg with over ten billion dollars. Oh yeah. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting though 
before then just putting up these solid numbers out there was figuring out the amount of movies that these people have directed mm -hmm. compared to those numbers. So I went on to IM, uh, IMBD or I am, I always get the IMDB. Yeah. Um, and I looked up uh, all the movies, uh, how many movies that they were given credit to as a director. So now put with those, uh, put with those numbers, Steven Spielberg has indeed done $10 billion, but over 58 movies. Whereas Peter Jackson has done 6.5 with only 23 movies. So per movie, Peter Jackson is way ahead of Steven Spielberg. Um, in fact, this trend follows uh, with Michael Bay, who has done... Sorry, no. Michael Bay is in a very similar boat as Steven Spielberg, as he's only done 6.4 billion over 57 movies. Hmm. Um, meanwhile, uh, David Yates has done... Um, Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, Dave Yates has done 5.3 billion over the course of 27 movies. Peter Jackson, like I said, has done 6.5 over 23. And also falling in line with this, James Cameron has done 6.2 only over 23 movies. Hmm. So basically, Michael Bay and Steven Spielberg have basically gotten those money, that amount of money, simply by the amount of big productions that they've worked on. Mm -hmm. I almost think that. Looking at the uh, amount of money a movie has made is less. It's less interesting to me than the quality of the movies made. And that is my next point, which okay. I'm going to get to. Because after doing that, as like an interest, because I I I I thought the grossing was interesting simply because James Cameron has the top two spots. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, how does he stack on overall with other you know directors who have made a massive amount of money? Um. So that that's that's the main reason why I did that, and I was interested because I know James Cameron hasn't made nearly as many, many of movies as say Steven Spielberg has. How, however, he's been in the business for just as long. You know, so I was wondering, you know, that quality, you know, for money and per movie, um, James Cameron has done very great work compared to um, the others. In fact, he's done the same amount as Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson, and only trails by point, uh, only trails by um, three hundred million which when we're talking billions, isn't that much. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so um, now that we have that perspective, what I did is that I took, I went to Rotten Tomatoes and went to... Mm. I'm going to have to stop you right there. Rotten Tomatoes is not a good metric for uh, quality of movies just because the, uh, the number that they're looking at isn't... Um, it's not an aggregate score. It's... Does it... Does the average score is the average score above sixty percent? Does that make sense? So like, oh, so you got people, yeah. Nice so so like, if if one hundred percent of the reviews are above sixty percent, it has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like Metacritic is a better example. And that's of that. fair. Um, I I did. I did go with Rotten Tomatoes simply because it kind of backs up the successful rate of the movies rather than just okay. the pure rating. Because just because something was rated really good does not mean it was successful. Right. So, so that are we? Is the argument you're making that people should be interested in these movies because they're likely to be successful, or that they're going to be objectively good? Well, I think that Rotten Tomatoes incorporates both. Is my argument basically okay but regardless that's what i ended up using for uh, i could follow it up with metacritic but i decided to go with rotten tomatoes okay and if i had more time i would have done both but 
with Rotten Tomatoes, I looked at all the directors and all the all the ratings that they were given in a director role, mm-hmm. and um, averaging all those numbers out, um, David Yates, uh, from worst to least, as uh, so a worst to best, we had Michael Bay with an average score of thirty six point two. Not great, and no. that's mostly due to Transformers. Most of the Transformers movies performing seventeen percent or less, which is horrific. Um, in fourth place, we have David Yates with an average score of 68.8. In third, we have um, Steven Spielberg with an average score of 76.3, which is honestly impressive with the amount of movies that he's done to mm. keep that reputable of a score. Um, then in second is Peter Jackson with an average score of 76.6. And then first, James Cameron with 76.7. So James Cameron, I mean, obviously just barely above Peter Jackson, is technically the highest um, out of the average of those ratings from all the movies that he's been. And I want to clarify, specifically based off of director roles. Because if you look in all the things for some of these directors, they've done a lot of producing. They've done a lot of, uh, some of them even acting. And like, for instance, James Cameron was technically responsible for partly producing um, one of the, like the I think it was the Piranha 3D movie, which got a, like a horrific like 6%. on (laughs) Rotten Tomatoes so only because we're basing off of his uh, basing off of director specifically only roles that um, had them as director were those um, scores counted for in this Mm -hmm. in this graph so just so it's clear what those stats are based off of but basically um, by those by those metrics James Cameron is no surprise one of the like top directors out there um, and like technically number one in Rotten Tomatoes ratings and number four when it comes to straight up grossing, but then one of the top two when it comes to average per movie grossing. Hmm. Um, so he's got some of the best stats in the game. No surprise, but I thought it was very good to follow that up with some actual research and not just saying that because that's what seems right. Because I think that there's a lot of movies that people forget about that people have worked on a long time ago that didn't work out so well to get to where they are now. But I think that track record was important. Um, Also noteworthy is that um, James Cameron has worked on a lot of phenomenal sequels, which is something that um, is a little bit harder to capture for some directors. Obviously, David Yates did a good job with the majority of the Harry Potter movies, but um, not so much as we are now seeing from the... Um, the prequel yeah the movies? prequel ones which I believe he's in I'm pretty sure that he's doing um, but um, but yeah um, it's so funny because uh, Michael Bay's top performer and I'm looking at it was Dark uh, Transformers Dark of the Moon which in itself um, grossed 1.1 billion dollars <laughs> um well, the the Transformers movies do really well in China, which is uh-huh. one of the reasons why they continue to make those movies. Gotcha. Because critically, they get panned yeah. all the time. Um, and they do fairly well domestically, but not nearly well enough to justify, you know, mm-hmm. continued... Though apparently Bumblebee was supposed to be pretty good. Bumblebee was good. Still from whatever. Yeah. Um, however, unfortunately, and related news to that, they are going back to making another sequen- sequential Transformers oh, movie. Oh, come on. Yeah. Just like, just stop. Oh, really? Yeah. 
everyone kind of faced problem when they heard that news, including myself. Um, but yeah, so basically, um, rather than just saying that James Cameron is one of the best directors of all time, actually researching it and clarifying the fact that yes, he is in fact one of the, the best directors of all time. Most successful. Yeah. Uh, and I would put him in the top three. You know, I think that it's, you could make a lot of other statistics and I could do a lot more research about this of mm -hmm. other aspects using other sources and other uh, angles to uh, what makes a director great. But as far as a movie's success, I think that um, James Cameron has a very high percentage of producing successful movies. And when we see something that is being invested in this highly, um, and something that is this personal to him that he believes in, you know, I think that this has nothing but the recipe for an absolute hit, you know, um, and I see no reason, despite some people saying that the sequels seem unwarranted, I, I don't see anything here that would clue to a reason why these movies shouldn't be must-see movies, you know? I mean, I'll probably still see them most likely. If not in theaters, then on DVD. I mean, when you, especially when you got an attraction like um, the No Glasses 3D, I feel like everybody's at least going to want to try that out once. You know. It depends on if they're actually available or not. I mean, that's true. I, I would imagine we wouldn't get one of those. Not up here, not in the north. I think maybe in Boston. Um, Which isn't that far, to be honest. No, but it's farther than I want to go to see a movie. <laughs> I I, t I, I tend like to see a lot of I tend to see a lot of big movies in IMAX these days, not mm -hmm. in 3D, but just in IMAX because I like the the extra big screen. Because um, I feel like that immersion is more generally effective than 3D immersion. Ironically, yeah, um, it's just a bigger screen. <laughs> um, but the closest one for us is 50 minutes away. Okay. So and that's in um, just outside Manchester. Um, gotcha. I'm trying to remember, but anyways. Um, so like for me, like I'm already used to driving 50 minutes to seeing like a movie in like a bigger screen. I wouldn't mind driving an hour, an hour and a half to mm -hmm. see in something of this spectacle. So, yeah. I mean, I guess if you were going to do a day trip of it, yeah, yeah. Um, that'd be worth it. Yeah. Um, but if, for instance, uh, if we decided to do a spoiler cast, that would be pretty miserable. Yeah, it's true. I <laughs> saying if we do do a spoiler cast, I'm not driving. <laughs> I was Drive an hour and a half there, watch the movie, drive an hour and a half back, and you can't talk about the yeah. movie the entire oh, time. We, it's nice seeing a movie that's 10 minutes away and only having to do shut up for 10 minutes. Russell about. being James Cameron is most likely going to be a two and a half to three hour movie. So. It's true. So you have a lot to digest. Oh, yeah. It would be, be a long day. So, so, yeah, that's most of what I have. Now we're just kind of like, kind of final thoughts. But I just think that ultimately, my point of this whole conversation is that I think that there should be a lot of hype around Avatar because like mm -hmm. I said I feel like all the signs port point to not only this movie being successful but if you had to make like a caution for like the next big trilogy or Sega like out of anything that we've seen out here like this is it you know if anything could take down the the popularity that is comic book movies mm -hmm. like these these Avatar movies could be it I'm not saying I want that, but right. we haven't seen anything challenge that at all. Like right. even Harry Potter is failing to live up to its original hype. Star Wars is well, kind it's not of, even Harry Potter anymore. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> um, but I think I think that's part of its problem. Yeah, is is you know we're making more Harry Potter movies, except it's not about Harry Potter at all. Yeah, <laughs> and oh. if 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 the books had been uh, marketed as like like if they'd been titled something different, like if mm -hmm. it wasn't. Harry Potter X, if it was like, 
they might not have been as successful, but it would been it would have been it would have made more sense. Like there would have been a better umbrella for them to be making these different yeah. movies. Where Star Wars is like, oh, it's not, uh, you know, Skywalker Saga, A New yeah. Hope. Yeah. And then oh, we're making these other movies that have nothing to do with the Skywalkers. Like instead of the Harry Potter, it could be like Anakin oh, the Skywalker. something something right. Chronicles, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they're trying to kind of bring it back a bit. Mm-hmm. When it comes down to it, as far as the highest grossing movies these days, uh, the the Marvel movies have constantly been breaking like weekend and opening records and sure. things like that, um, and have been trending higher and higher. And it's only a matter of time, a matter of time. Who knows? Maybe the next Avengers movie, where we see it knocking on the doors of Titanic and potentially Avatar. You know, Quite possibly. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, mm. I know well, it's going to take a lot, but like, it's definitely the closest we ever seen a franchise come to even reaching it. Where you know? Where does Endgame, or not Endgame? Where did Infinity War end up on the on the roster? How much did Infinity War gross worldwide? Wikipedia. Worldwide, Avengers Infinity War grows two billion forty-eight million three hundred. Came really close to Titanic. Came worldwide. really close. So the film set okay, shut up. The <laughs> Stop. That's enough. Quiet. Enough. <laughs> Peace. Silence, woman. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess it depends on whether people feel more hyped for Endgame than they were for Infinity War. Yeah. Or well, if they, or if like. That like the movie, if Infinity War and uh, Ant Man and the Wasp and Captain Marvel have like gotten like given it like a downward trend mm-hmm. in terms of hype. Well, um, the thing is, is that it's funny that you mentioned Ant Man and the Wasp. Ant Man and the Wasp grossed way higher than the original Ant Man, despite really? having low hype. Yeah. Okay. In fact, when I was looking at the overall movie like grossing metrics. Mm-hmm. Almost always the sequel grossed more than the original, despite its hype. I mean, that I, I guess that makes sense, because uh, Marvel has kind of been doing the thing where they're introducing characters that people don't really care about, yeah. and like making them care about them. So, um, basically nobody knew, like nobody aside from comic book fans knew who Iron Man was before they made a yeah. movie about him. And like, people knew the Incredible Hulk because he's the Incredible Hulk, and they'd already had a movie come out uh, that involved him. Um, but even that, I feel like, didn't do as well. Um, but, so Iron Man did really well. Nobody knew who Guardians of the Galaxy were. Right? Yeah. Um, and that one just, you know, knocked it out of the park. Not mm-hmm. necessarily in terms of box office. I imagine the sequel did better. But like, because people... Clean. So, right here, um, and these don't, and these, like, I just looked at the highest grossing Marvel movies, and the top eight don't match hype levels whatsoever. So, number one is Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was hype, but far from the h- highest hype. Um, then, um, then you have Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Then you have the original Avengers. Wait a second. If Black Panther, if Black Panther made more than Infinity War, did it make like how close did it come to being? I'm looking up the exact number right now. Um, wait, why does it say that? I don't know. Oh, what? It's sorting it by domestic. What? Okay, that's not fair. Because <laughs> world, worldwide, job, Black Panther only made 1.3. So, domestic-wise, it made 700, while Infinity only made 678. So, um, so okay. Prefacing this with the fact that they're... Which, it seems like it matches up for the most point, ironically, 
except for Infinity War. Like, Infinity War seems to be the outlier as far as worldwide to domestic as far as, like, levels, as far as ranking goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that being said, domestically, Black Panther is number one. Infinity War is number two. Number three is the Avengers. Number four is the Avengers Age of Ultron. Number five is Iron Man 3. Number six is Captain America Civil War. Mm-hmm. Number seven is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Mm-hmm. And number eight is Spider-Man Homecoming. So there's a good amount of sequels in there yeah. that definitely didn't have like Iron Man three like sure like people were like excited. Well, it was about also the it first was, movie but... after the first Avengers movie. Like, right. Yeah. Phase and people two. were super hyped about Iron yeah. Man. Post- they were like, Avengers. "What's next?" And Guardians of the Galaxy Volume two. Don't get me wrong, there was hype around it, but nothing like the press that was given around the first movie. You know. You think? Yeah. That do- that doesn't make sense to me. Well, because people went in because people left Guardians of the Galaxy highly satisfied, saying yeah. that you must see and must rewatch it. I personally watched it three times in theater. The second one, people said like it was good, but then like. But that's like that's like anecdotal hype. It's like not hype leading up to the movie because okay. um, I think that the the reason why sequels do so much better is because you have the foundation that was built by the original. That's fair, mm-hmm. and that's you know hype leading up to the movie like less so than word of mouth like i don't consider word of mouth to be hype necessarily um like it can extend the tale mm-hmm. uh of a movie kind of like with avatar right um but oftentimes people are gonna go see it pretty early on like be not not it. not based on reviews not based on yeah. things that other people have said if they're gonna go see the movie anyway or if they're planning on seeing the movie they're gonna go see it regardless of like who says they should? Yeah, like if you if you know that you like the first one and there's another movie coming out, you're gonna be like, well, I have to check it out now yeah. for the most part. Do you think that almost having that said, do you think that the next Avatar is almost guaranteed to break its original Avatar movie record? I still don't think so. You still don't think so. Yeah. It's still like so far away from the like the first movie, so I don't know. And also, again, the the reason I think the reason that people saw the first one was because of its spectacle. And having seen that, I don't know that that's going to be enough to push the second one. Yeah, I, I, especially if people are, I mean, not everyone is kind of, you know, uh, really invested in finding out information about these movies. Right. So they might, people might not even know that there's, they have four other movies planned for the series. Um, but even then, uh, I feel like they're, they're going to be like, oh, Avatar 2? Yeah, maybe. So, like, if it's good, like, I think it'll have the same kind of effect where it's, like, it's going to start off... I think it'll be fairly successful. I'm not sure if it's going to make its money back, but I think it's going to be fairly successful initially. Um, but I don't think it's going to, like, bust down the door. It's not going to uh, con- be consistent with its earnings. Because right. every, like, super high-earning movie has been consistent and not just, like, dropped off immediately, you know? For the most part, I would imagine. Uh, I think the only ones mm-hmm. that would would um, say otherwise would be those Pirates of the Caribbean movies would be the only exception that I can think of. I want to disagree with you because I feel like there are some pretty significant examples of that, but I would have to look it up because um, I feel like like The Last Jedi had a pretty precipitous drop. Oh, it it, definitely did. It it still did really well, like, you know, box office-wise, but, like, after the first... Well, I'm talking about, like, these top ten grossing all-time movies. Mm-hmm. Those all made it to the top like, ten list because they were consistent and not just had a crazy opening weekend. Sure. Like, none of those movies made it into the top ten 
by some crazy opening weekend record. Mm -hmm. It was all because it maintained its spot for more than just two weeks, you know? Um, That's fair. So I guess uh, my point is that I don't know that um, a sequel to Avatar is going to do enough differently or better Mm -hmm. to, like, make an impression. Because, like, when people go... People tend to have, like, a skewed memory when it comes to... Uh, how impressive something is. Yeah. So, like, if you go back and watch stuff that... I think video games are a better example than movies. Oh, absolutely, because um, it's you, evolving you, way faster. If you have sort of a, a mentality of, like, oh, this was super groundbreaking when it came out, it was like, man, this is almost photorealistic. And then you go back and watch it, you're like, oh, God, this is horrible. <laughs> or, like, or, like, you you get these remasters, and you're like, um, like, this was really good when it came out, and you get the remaster that's, like, really, like, highly developed yeah. afterwards. And it's still not up to the same... Pop- yep. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, this is how I remember it. But it's still not as good as, you know, other games that are coming out that are contemporaries. One and thing that this is reminding me of, not to cut you off, yeah, is that I think it's also super... It's a lot harder to impress people by spectacles than it used to be. For sure. As technology advances, the margins are becoming smaller and smaller as far as how much more realistic thing we can get, you know? Because, right. like, as you've got the end goal here... Is the point, especially with CGI, where it's like a huge, crazy spike of being like more realistic. But now we're getting like now the parts that are being improved on are so detail oriented that yeah. it's not nearly as noticeable as like the past two decades. The the increments are getting much smaller. So it's a lot harder to to sell a movie based on spectacle alone. In fact, in a weird way, having it's easier to market a movie that's not going on photorealism for spectacle for example Spider-Verse mm-hmm. that was a very creatively different looking movie and I say that was a selling point on that movie and I think that Spider-Verse is one of those movies that's going to hold up a lot longer than a live action movie with heavy CGI elements mm-hmm. is you're to. 100% right and that's why we see for instance in like video games like you mentioned um, I think Wind Waker is a great example of something that's almost timeless with yeah. its graphics despite it being very old for you sure. know um, and I remember it It was funny when that came out it was heavily criticized oh, for yeah. its art style but now people freaking love it, yeah. you know? There's some uh, revisionist history going on there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But that's all I got, really. Uh, and it'll be very interesting to see how these pan out. Mm. And it'll be, I would imagine, in, by the end of this year, we will see some sort of um, official uh, hype. based As far as, like, not hype, um, like, release as far as maybe, like, a poster or some official art or some official teaser or something. Mm-hmm. I feel like some, by the end of the year... Some behind-the-scenes kind of... Because we've BTS, seen behind-the-scenes, yeah. like, pictures, more mm-hmm. or less, you know? Like, when he's talking about the underwater technology, like, we've seen some footage of what it looks like when they're filming and things of that nature. But some actual... I want... I think by the end of the year, the Avatar will put out something specifically for promotional-slash-hype reasons okay. and not just for, hey, behind-the-scenes behind work, look, we're actually working on the movie. Like, no, marketing stuff. We're going to start seeing marketing and, like, stuff put out for that by the end of this year is my prediction. Yeah. I mean, a year, because it comes out December of next year, right? Yep. So if it comes out, uh, say, November or December of this year, uh, a year's tail on marketing doesn't seem unrealistic to me. Yep. So Still it, waiting on that... Uh, uh, name announcement for episode nine now still waiting yeah, so. i know right or trailer and i and i still think we're holding firm with the fact that we think that's going to be revealed after uh avengers that's fair yeah. um i do i'm i they only just finished up uh filming really on episode nine so a while ago, yeah. um like a few weeks back so 
I mean, fingers crossed that you know they're able to get everything done in time. But I think they already, it's well. I think they already did the same thing with the Last Jedi, where they didn't have a. I think they may have had the title release first, and then they had a trailer drop on May the fourth. Mm-hmm. So it was a much later than with the Force Awakens, where they had an entire year for when they dropped the first trailer, the teaser trailer, to when the movie came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it won't be long before we start getting swarmed with Avatar sequel stuff. You know, because you know. Oh God. So put in, put, in, put in comparison, they put in $100 million in advertising for the original Avatar mm. in comparison to a $400 million budget. We're going to see at least double that, I would imagine, for this coming sequel, which is going to be, by comparison, I would imagine, I don't have the numbers on me, but I would imagine based off of budget-wise, this is going to be the biggest budget for also marketing movie that we've ever seen. Quite so, possibly. And I mean, especially with this amount of money riding on it, you kind of have to. Yeah. Like at this point, you have to spend money to make money. You got to market the living hell out of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if he spent upwards of four hundred million in advertising for this. To be honest, you know, because we we've seen that before. I mean, not on this scale, but we've seen movies almost spending more money on advertising than they no, have on actually yet. making the movie. So we haven't seen that done to this scale. But I mean, if there's a movie to do it, I feel like this is the one. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so. For sure. Yeah, no, it's going to be very fascinating to see one way or the other, you know, because it is going to be a time to remember whether it is a huge flop, whether it is one of the most biggest letdowns ever, Mm -hmm. or whether it's one of the greatest new examples of success in film, you know? Yeah. Either way, it's a story. Let's see what happens. Yeah. With that, that will conclude our episode. Thanks for watching slash listening. Uh, like I mentioned before, if you're listening, you can watch this on YouTube. And if you're watching this on YouTube, don't forget, you can take this wherever you go on any music and podcast device, uh, podcast platform, rather. Um, also, be uh, feel free to check out our website at geekkind.tv and make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms uh, to keep updated on everything that we have, plus some bonus content as well. Um, thanks for joining us. Um, Inconceivable! I come to Dunkin' for something topped, toasty, and tasty. Because days like this deserve a toast. I can celebrate today with a bacon-topped avocado toast. It's got rich, creamy avocado on top of toasted sourdough bread with crumbled cherry wood smoked bacon and everything bagel seasoning. All perfectly packed to go. Or I can cheers to a grilled cheese melt filled with white cheddar and American cheese or layered with savory black forest ham. If you're done with your toast, your order's ready. Yeah! Toast your way all day at Dunkin'. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. The been thinking about McDonald's all day can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. 
There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. 